welcome to New Oral Cultures. I'm Dario Linares. I'm on my own today. Richard and Neil are otherwise engaged, basically in the in the firefighting operation of getting through their students' assessments before uh, Christmas, which is something that I'm looking forward to at the beginning of next week. But I'm sat here on Wednesday the 11th of December, the day before the general election, and I'm in the unenviable position of trying to sell to you a hour's worth of conversation on political podcasting. Now, I'm sure many of you out there have had your absolute fill of both listening to the seemingly unending political discussions around Brexit and now, of course, for the last six weeks, the the increasingly unedifying media communication centred around the general election. It seems to me that there's been a kind of pulling back of the curtain when it comes to the relationship between the media, politicians and the public. The very foundations of how a democratic society sh- should run in terms of that, the relationship between those three entities, I don't know, is just, is just well, if it's not at breaking point, there certainly needs to be some soul searching in, in how political communication should take place in the future. Over the last couple of days, it seems to be there seems to be a microcosm of the of all of the problems rolled into the the story about the uh, the image of the boy in Leeds Hospital sat in a corridor and the reactions of the politicians to that the Boris Johnson interview that that took place where he grabbed hold of a a journalist's microphone and put it in his pocket like some kind of entitled Eaton Tourette's. Then after that when Matt Hancock was dispatched to to extinguish the flames, as it were, you know, penfold to the rescue. And then the way that the an incident outside the hospital, when he was, you know, protested, barracked, followed around and, and shouted at whatever language you want to use, how the the reporting of that took on again another life of its own in terms of the the way that it was spun and seemingly whether knowingly or unknowingly that spinning was fallen for hook line and sinker by two of the most prominent political journalists in the country it really shows you that we are in a little bit of a mess when it comes to the relationship between media communication truth and knowledge taking all that into account hopefully this conversation that i had with steve reason which took place back in august september time will actually be a little bit more considered than what you might have been used to over the last few weeks. Um, We discussed a research project that he conducted as part of his his, uh, MSc at the London School of Economics, where he's studying political communication or has, has completed his MSc in political communication. So this research is both a kind of quantitative and qualitative examination of the effects of political podcasting is and... And on the show notes, I've put a link to the actual research itself, which is up on his website, um, which is called Brighton Cafe, a political science and a political science and politics blog. Um, and it's a really interesting discussion that we actually move into a wide variety of areas around podcasting. And he was really great on that. So we covered the uh, some of the problems with political journalism in the Internet age the difficulties of objectivity versus subjectivity as a starting point for an approach to political reporting, the reflexivity and democratising potential of podcasting, uh, podcast listening and social capital, podcasting as a research methodology, um, the difficulties of media and trust, particularly around social media, conversations and the conditionality of meaning that they allow, 
the demographics of political media engagement, podcasting's discoverability problem, and the possible notion that podcasting has revitalized the very idea of the interview process. Um, so like I say, thanks very much for, for downloading the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. This is going to be the last one of... 2019 we'll be back again with more interviews and more content around podcasting in its conceptual research sense so hang on in there we'll see you on the other side of the election and on the other side of christmas but until then i hope you enjoy this discussion i have with the podcast researcher steve rayson What's your sort of day job background? background. I used to be the director of finance at the council. Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, Back in the, well, I left in 2000. So from 93 to 2000, I was director of finance at the council. That's the council here in Brighton. Council here in Brighton. Um, And then I set up various businesses, um, software, social media businesses, and sold them. So I set up a number and sold them. Um, And on selling the last one, I sold it to Brandwatch in Brighton. I knew Giles quite well and stuff, so I sold it there. So I was thinking, what do I want to do? And I've I've always been interested in politics. I did economics and politics as my first degree. Okay. I always read. Whereabouts was that? At Bath. Okay. So I always read quite extensively um, around politics. So I was thinking, what do I do now? Because I'm in the very fortunate position I no longer need to work because I sold my companies, etc. So I thought, what should I do? So I read so much about politics. I'll actually try and get some structured, give myself some structured reading. So. Um, so for the last year I've been at LSE so I applied to LSE didn't know whether they'd take me because I've been right. out of academia is that for a master's or a PhD master's, master's, master's. Yeah, yeah. so I've just finished my master's and now I'll look to maybe convert it into a PhD or to carry on the research oh fantastic PhD. so that's what I'm going to look to do but at the moment I'm just finishing the master's so I've literally that's my dissertation I've just submitted it right I can so see it there it's yeah. always nice to have the physical copy right it's done you. now I've gone through I've seen spotted two or three typos but anyway yeah. I submitted no, it they're, they're, <laughs> I wish there was only two or three in mine um, um, but yeah so, so my background is so really for the last since 2000 I've really just been an entrepreneur setting up software companies and selling them really oh right oh, that's fascinating um, well thanks for coming on your oral cultures we really uh, really appreciate it and I kind of obviously saw your online survey around political yeah. podcasts as the way yeah. to to into what you were doing and then obviously we've been you, you've told me about your 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 masters so just I mean again just sort of slightly related to your background is it is there a sort of advocacy element to your interest in politics in terms or is it more a kind no, of a broad I'm, sense of the way that communication and politics are interrelated i've always been interested in politics but i suppose post 2016 politics is an interesting time yeah. really and what's interesting i listened to david runciman on the talking politics podcast back in 2017 he did this great podcast which says nobody knows anything so he says forget all the politicians the pollsters the pundits the academic experts Everybody called this stuff wrong. So, what's happening really? And this sort of interest in it. So, that sort of sparked my interest in it. But it was combined with then seeing this huge growth in podcasts as well. So, but but I come at it from a neutral perspective. I'm not particularly okay. partisan in terms of politics at all. Yeah. Um, so, I quite like the podcasts. On political podcasts, there are different genres of podcasts, of course. So, there are like talking politics I really like because it's quite neutral, it's academic, uh, interviews academic experts, etc. Um, and then there are like Romaniacs, Pod Save America, which are highly partisan and come from a very specific viewpoint. So you've got different types of political podcasts, really. Okay. Um, but my, personally, I don't come in from a partisan perspective. I'm, right. just, I'm just interested in the concept of 
political knowledge and information and how people gather that. So we'll probably get into individual podcasts and talking yeah. about what each of them yeah. tries to do a little bit later on. But again, in terms of your interest in coming to this as a research project, is there a sense that you recognised or you had a hypothesis that suggested that what podcasting was doing was taking political journalism, political discourse, political discussion to a new place? And does that does that particularly fit in yeah. with... With like I don't know what the internet, how the internet yeah. is changing, or ha- or particularly things like Brexit and Trump. Yeah, I mean, I, I did come with a number of hypotheses, really. I suppose I, firstly, I was starting to look at is podcasting or political podcasting specifically a new form of political journalism, because political journalism has a problem. I think generally that it's it's tend to be you know my, you know um, the Theresa May gets into a car in Brussels, Theresa May gets out of a car. It's immediate. It's soundbite reductionism. It's all those sorts of things. Um, whereas podcasts by their nature tend to be more reflective. They tend to be on more of a weekly cycle. What you know, the FT politics, for example, or the New Statesman politics, they tend to reflect on the week's events, etc. So they tend to be reflective, longer form, etc. And mm. don't have the immediacy and the soundbite sort of reductionism of day to day. So I started with the perception of is it a new form of journalism? But I suppose my real hypothesis was around political knowledge and education, which was which might be naive, but can political podcasts democratise political knowledge in the sense that I can be a working class kid from Swindon, where I sort of came from, in my bedroom, but I now have podcasts. I have access to sitting in on a conversation with a professor at Cambridge on politics with another professor, or sitting in with you know, top political journalists who have lots of contacts, having a general chat. And there's something about that intimacy and informal nature of a, a podcast, which feels that I'm sitting in. Mm. And I do gain knowledge from that um, uh, every day. So I thought, actually, even sort of working class kids could have access to this and that would democratise political knowledge. And so I naively came from that perspective. Of course, my research found the exact reverse. My my research indicates that actually it increases the gulf in political knowledge. Oh, right. Um, okay. We'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah. We'll definitely come, come back. I want, we'll, we'll come back to the kind of yeah. interpretations yeah. of your research in, in, a, in a second. So just maybe again, you know, obviously yeah. because it's a research pro- yeah. project, tell us about the kind of methodological okay. setup because obviously I saw the survey but yeah. how did you decide what it, what you wanted to okay. ask what kind yeah. of questions so I, I looked at from two pieces of theory I suppose um, sort of old school uses and gratifications theory as you mm. know from TV etc um, which assumes that you know, the audience is active they have particular needs and they search out media to meet needs etc um, and that's gone in and out of fashion but actually with podcasts the audience has to be active so I was thinking it really does seem to apply to podcasts in the sense that you don't just stumble across a podcast it's no. really difficult so it's quite difficult to find a podcast there's a labour and curation and listening yeah. isn't there yeah, yeah. so it's, it's really not easy to, to sort of stumble across them so um, so that you need an active audience and then my sort of hypothesis was that why do people listen to political podcasts? And my view is they do it to increase their, what I would call their cognitive social capital. So they increase their political knowledge, which enables them to take part in discussion and debate, probably increases their standing in their social circles because they know more about politics, etc. So my sort of hypothesis was that people listen to political podcasts to increase their sort of cognitive social capital. Why are they doing it? What's the reason? Um, and so then I looked at it from sort of social capital perspective as well in terms of, you know, why are they listening and those sorts of things. So, um, so that took me down to okay, that's sort of a broad set of the sort of hypothesis and the theoretical background. Um, But I started by saying, well, let's just check out who listens to these things in the first place. Um, And that proved really difficult. There's hardly any research on political podcasts, virtually no research about the audience for political podcasts. 
there are there have been recently four or five surveys about podcast audiences, but they're very general. Um, I even talked to producers of political podcasts and some major uh, broadcasting ones, and they really knew quite little. So I said, "Well, what's the average sort of, you know, um, income levels or educational levels, etc." They have some broad demographics, but very broad. So I decided that. To, I'd have to start from the beginning and get some original data on who listens to podcasts. So I ran a survey. So I put together a survey, I pilot tested it. Um, and then my problem was, how do you reach people who listen to political podcasts? So I looked at using social media, but you miss lots of people. And I really came to view, I could send it to people, I could send it to friends, but that would just be such a biased sample. So I decided in the end that the only way I could reach people who listen to political podcasts was to put the survey on the podcast that they're listening to. Right. Um, so I approached, I approached about ten big political podcasts and said, "Would you do a read for me and promote my survey?" Yeah. Some, some. So what were the what were the ten then, or you know, a few of the the, the most yeah, popular ones they, that you thought that you you contacted? They varied really. The one the one that agreed and this was good for me was Talking Politics, which is okay. a UK smaller one. But I approached Pod Save America. Um, I approached Things Can Only Get Better with Ed Miliband and, and Jeff Lloyd, for example. Right. Uh, I did do an interview with the Romaniacs uh, okay. people, with Channel 4 podcast people. And some of them had different policies about doing reads and promoting things. But talking politics were really helpful. And so they agreed to do a read. Um, so that means that theoretically, everybody who listens to the podcast knows about my survey and everybody has the same opportunity to complete it. It's still a self-completion survey, yeah. but suddenly everybody has the same opportunity to complete the survey. Mm. Um, and the results for me were quite stunning because it's, in my experience, it's very difficult to get people to fill in the survey. <laughs> right. Take 10 minutes of your time, go online, fill them in, etc. Um, and the Talking Politics one said it'll be out Thursday. So I listened to the podcast intently, very excited that mm. my, it's going to be mentioned. And was, was this the only one who actually played yeah, an ad? Yeah, it was the only one who actually played an ad. Right. And quite a number of them, so Romaniacs, um, Channel 4, they actually promoted my survey on their social media channels. Right. So Romaniacs did it on their social media channels, so did Channel 4. But, um, and so people like um, Polarised Podcast uh, from the RSA, uh, they put on their social media channels, which was great. But Talking Politics, the only people actually did me a read on the podcast. Right. So theoretically, they were the only people where the whole audience could take part. But as I was very excited it was going to get broadcast. And um, I listened to intently that whole show. And it got <laughs> to the closing music and I thought, it's not there. And um, so that, was, that didn't work. And then at the very end, after the music faded, David Runciman, who runs it, said... I'd like to ask a favour this week. Would you mind filling in this survey? We're always interested in who you are. Um, and so I thought, oh, if you put that at the front of the podcast, yeah, I've yeah, got yeah, lots. Yeah. Um, so I thought, it's at the very end of the music. Who listens to the end of the music? And Talking Politics is not a big podcast. They typically get 60,000, 70,000 downloads a week. Big, but not huge. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Um, within 24 hours, 800 of those people filled in the, in the survey. Right. So I was just flabbergasted. I just couldn't believe the spike. Yeah. So which goes to something about the power of a host read, I think, and okay. people taking action. So. Yeah, no, just to pick up on that, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the idea of what the impact of a podcast is, is quite unsophisticated when you think of the notion of, or the, you know, the, the possibilities of analytics that we have for, for looking at how many people download. Yeah. But if, if you think that, that there are so many different ways in which a podcast a podcast listen or its impact of the listening can be broken down. And so, for example, it does a download on its own count. Hmm. There's people who don't download; they yeah. they stream a podcast yeah. and just listen. And then there's the, the, there's the the bounce through statistics. Yeah. You know, how long do, yeah. does a podcast get listened to? So, 
I think it's interesting that once the labour of listening has been um, engaged with by a listener, so, so once a listener has chosen what yeah. they're going to listen to, you tend to have that intimacy and that connection with the podcast. So maybe, yeah, yeah like you were saying, that's one of the reasons why so many people want, want I, it to fill I up. think that's it. I think there's, I think there's something about the intimacy, the bonding, um, that sense of informality that... I think it's interesting because podcasts are, the relationships podcasts are asymmetrical, of course. They're mm. weak ties in the sort of traditional sense, but people have that strong sense uh, of intimacy uh, with it. So, And that's what I would put that down to. And in the end, I shut off the survey once I got past 1,300 respondents. Right. Um, but um, I could have got a lot more from it. So, But it went to the power of just one single podcast read after the music generated that and so so my survey was really designed it, I was only interested in people who listen to political podcasts it was how do I find them sure and partly because you say about impact there's also impact in do political podcasts shape people's views of politics and things and I think there are a number of ways in which they can do that and so it seems to me therefore that the pattern of adoption of podcasts across society is an important factor who listens why do they listen those sorts yeah. of things. so so as so I started really at the basics of who listens to political podcasts and then I asked them questions about why do they listen? How do they discover? Sure. So that's where I started from. We'll, really. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go into some of that in a bit more detail. In just yeah. one second, but I just wanted to ask: in terms of when you were speaking to the journalists and the yeah. academics, did you get a sense of why they'd engaged with this form? What was the sense that you got of why they engaged with this form? Was it was it things like? dissatisfaction with traditional media they felt that it, it offered something in terms of the openness of the dialogue um, I don't know you know there's so, there's so many kind of reasons through which people who have worked in, in yeah. media forms or indeed yeah. perhaps have come from outside of the media actually you know utilize podcasting and the things that they they get out of it yeah my, my, I've got quite different responses depending okay. on the podcast really um, right. so some of the larger broadcasters were definitely doing it partly because they felt they had to, this podcast was growing, but partly because they wanted to reach a new audience and thought that it might be a way of reaching a new audience, um, potentially a younger audience um, uh, than other forms of media. So a lot of people were doing it for those reasons. Um, I think the American ones were, were just interested generally in promoting a new new way of getting discussion out there and building a new type of audience and community, really. Mm. Um, there were also some that were just doing it for purely partisan reasons, really strong partisan political podcasts. So it was suddenly, we need to get our voice out there. And so yeah. um, so you got some very strong partisan ones as mm. well. So the reasons, I think, varied yeah. quite a lot, really, from podcast to podcast. And I say, I think that there are different sort of genres, even within the political podcast space, there are then different genres of types of political yeah. podcasts. Really. What's your sense in terms of the, the ways in which podcasting has taken off as perhaps reinvigorated or has started let's say a a new trend in which sound as communication is which arguably in the internet era era has fallen behind text and image as the kind of like default way we share and and sort of anchor our knowledge to do you think that the podcasting has sort of almost returned us to the uh, or made, made us remember the way that we always used oral histories yeah. and, and sharing conversations the way that actually knowledge was disseminated and produced. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think it is very powerful. That oral uh, communication is incredibly powerful. And I, I think there are some reasons why people people like it. I mean, certainly people do like it. So first on the explosion, in the year following Trump's election, there were over, in the US alone, there were over a thousand political podcasts launched. So partly because of the growth of podcasts, partly because of the interest in politics. Yeah. Um, so there was clearly demand for it. Interesting, when I ask people why they listen to podcasts um, on my survey, now accepting it's just 1,300 people, it's just a one-off survey, but people really appreciated the medium and the 
the productivity of the medium was one thing they appreciate. They could do other things while they listen. Right. So okay. they could walk to work. They could yeah. be in the gym. They could be cooking. So it's mobility. They could be cooking. It was yeah. it was productive. They could do two things at the same time, right. which audio allows you to do in a way that images and text don't allow you to do. Yeah. But I think the other thing that people liked was people really did like the intimacy. Interestingly, over fifty percent of the people who responded to my survey trusted podcasts more than they trusted mainstream news. Right. Okay. Um, and so. And they all commented on they they felt they got to know the presenters, right. for example. And I think there is that sort of intimacy. Um, and I don't know, it's something about the podcast form, which you'll know better than I do, but there's something which is conditional about podcasts. Yeah. When you write an article and publish it, you've polished the words. It's yeah. There's some distance between you and the reader because you've polished the words, you put it out there. In a podcast, you say, well, I think it might have been this, like it could have been that, etc. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. almost sitting through that process of thinking and that conversation. Uh, it's it's just far more intimate than a polished piece or even a, a video piece. So it'll be interesting to see. So, for example, the BBC's Brexit Cast podcast um, and one of the Channel 4 podcasts have been very successful and they've now turned them into a TV show now. They started videoing the, the podcast and then they turned it into a, a TV show. Yeah, yeah. So we'll see how that takes it's off. It'll be interesting to see how, yeah. how that works and whether it's the same. Um, but I think there's something about the nature of the medium and the intimacy of it, um, which is, is, is quite interesting, why people like it. And I think, interesting, I can talk a lot about who listens, but... In my experience, it is a lot of people in urban environments who listen, and they do listen while they're commuting and other yeah. things. And so it also fits a particular mm. lifestyle, I think. I think it's a hunger for this. Yeah, I, I mean, this is some of the stuff that I'm working through myself, but I think there's something about the way in which it reattaches or it finds this position in between subjectivity and objectivity, mm. which has almost been broken apart. Yeah. You know, so on the one hand, this idea that that there is an objective truth out there, yeah. um, that let's say for example the 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 BBC neutrality yeah. in its, in its yeah. news journalism is trying to strive for, but can never really actually get yeah. to, and yet then there are other with the internet there is the growth of sort of websites that are to, like totally subjective yeah. and. The, the extreme example of that is sort of conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. This is just what I think, yeah, yeah. and that's it. I'm not going to yeah. engage with any kind of objectivity yeah. at all. But I think there's something about podcasting that requires, even if you are speaking from a subjective perspective, to work through yeah. why you think those things. Yeah. And even on something that's partisan, let's say Romaniacs, there is that sense of where does my opinion come from yeah. and how do I get to that opinion? Yeah. Yeah, so they still reflect on it. And occasionally, Romanians will get somebody with a different view. Exactly, yeah. Not, yeah. not so often, but they occasionally will do that. Um, so I think there is something about that. So I think it's something about people feeling part of their, their tribe as well in terms of politics. I think there was a general sense of following 2016 with Brexit, Trump, etc. People thinking, what the hell is going on? Mm. I need to know, and I need to know where I fit in, and, and those sorts of things. So, um, so I think there was an element of that within it. Mm. Um, do you think that the, the, poc- the political podcast, and I'm just looking at the answers to some of your cognitive yeah, yeah. and so- social yeah. motivations yeah. here, which I'll yeah. I'll put up on our, I'll put a link to that up yeah. on the, on our website. It says here, some of the responses you've got, you know, I listen to political podcasts to improve my understanding. I feel more knowledgeable after listening to political podcasts. I find political po- podcasts more insightful than mainstream media political reporting. Do you think that, that podcasting allows us in some ways to get outside of that bubble of, of only getting the information that we want want to get. In yeah, a yeah. Sense. I mean, I think there are lots of things. I mean, 
I had this notion, I say, about potentially podcast democratising things. And there are a number of theories that looked at podcasting and other forms as, as almost alternative counter-public spheres, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so there was a good example in South Korea where there was a podcast there which... Um, you know, it had millions of downloads, etc. It's unusual as a political podcast, um, but people said they listened to it because it provided an alternative to mainstream news. They yeah, were yeah, listening yeah. to stories that the mainstream news, because of censorship and other things, they thought wasn't being covered. So podcasts are cheap to produce, they're easy to produce, etc. They're relatively easy to dispute, can become that alternative. Although I think the problem is that it's not democratising in the sense that you can produce them mm. easily. Actually, building an audience is super hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's very really difficult. And so true. nowadays, you know, with all the people spending money on advertising and marketing etc how do people hear about your podcast and particularly the BBC are dominating that space now by pushing all their own podcasts for example and BBC Sounds but you know it's really hard to build an audience so it's democratic in that you can produce it quite cheaply but actually to reach a large audience it's really yeah. hard and that, a lot of that goes about how people discover podcasts as well. Yeah I mean it's interesting what you were talking about then in terms of the idea of active listening yeah and, you know, it goes back to the sort of uses and gratifications yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing. There's also, there's a, lot, there's a lot of kind of background in that in film studies in terms of the, the yeah, active yeah, audience, yeah. all this kind of thing. And I'm always interested in terms of how that actually enacts itself in the digital age. So say, for example, yeah. historically, you know, yeah. when uses yeah. and gratifications was yeah. was first being yeah. used as a theory, there was no internet. Yeah. So it, it, it's more of a kind of cognitive yeah. process you know what I mean that you're engaging with yeah. what you're listening to yeah. and and yeah. Uh, either agreeing yeah. or disagreeing yeah. with it if you're using a sort of encoding yeah. decoding yeah. model um, but now there's all, also a sort of sense in which that active process can be you engaging in a in a, almost a phenomenological way I, I you can go onto social media yeah. and you can uh, you know tweet about it yeah. or go on yeah. go on Facebook or even just sort of engage with the other listeners yeah, yeah. you know what I mean so uh, yeah I don't know do you think that that's a fundamental um, kind of positive in terms of the way that, that people pos- listen I think it's positive and negatives to it actually I mean there are positives to it people definitely Political knowledge gained through pocketing has that sort of social utility and people use it in social media and they use it in conversations with friends. What was interesting is the number of people who said they talk about politics with friends, etc. Yeah. Um, so it definitely has um, a sort of social utility and people use it in that way. People go to it to, to gain knowledge, etc. It has a downside in that it's really high control media. Mm. And the internet's obviously very high control. You choose what you look at. Yeah. Although even on social media, there's some serendipity because you might see in your newsfeed sure. an article about a, a news story or a politics story. Um, and in traditional TV, you might watch a comedy program and it'll be followed by the news and you might carry on watching because it's followed your program and it's on before the next program. Um, and so you get a lot of incidental political knowledge and you can get that in social media. In podcasts, you just don't get it. Yeah, you yeah. listen to a comedy podcast, you're not gonna get a political podcast come up next. It's no. um, um, And it's a bit of the same with Netflix. You watch Netflix viewing, you won't see news programs in between no. because it's really highly controlled. Yeah. Um, and so that's really affecting who listens and how people gain political knowledge. And in my survey, at least, the pl- people who listen to political podcasts are people like me. Yeah. They're men. They're generally <laughs> white. They're generally older. Not as old as me. They're generally older, etc. They're well-educated and they're relatively high income. Right. And those people almost recognize the cognitive advantages of listening to political podcasts. Sure. Recognize the advantages give them and they carry on listening. Yeah. And they're listening. All the surveys show that listening is increasing. They're, they're actually meeting their needs or expectations from Right. UNG perspective and then they're carrying on listening more yeah and and also I think it, it 
it relates as well to this sort of counterintuitive trend in, in terms of, you know, a, a great deal of the internet is about the shortening of information yeah, into yeah, sound bites, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and getting something immediate and quick. Yeah. And everything about, po- oh, most things about podcasting are kind of the reverse of that. You know, they are long form, yeah. they can go on for hours. The, the recording is often out of date when the yeah. news is broken. Yeah. If you, yeah. if you, you know, like I'm, I listened to a couple of podcasts just after Boris Johnson was yeah. made yeah. prime minister, and they were, even though the discussion was useful and interesting, you could tell that they were a day or two yeah, days yeah. out of date. Yeah. And it's interesting how people kind of accept that in terms of balancing process. Accept, but also, I think podcasts are just for it as well, in a way. In, this, in a way that say BBC News has to be the it's that immediacy of today today's news, whereas. Um, with podcasting, they just remove say, okay, so I'm doing a weekly politics show. I have to reflect on what's going on, and it has to have slightly more longer life. So, but the, but the problem is politics is so fast paced; they are getting out of date very yeah, quickly. Yeah, yeah. But I think they do try to then do a more reflective, and certainly from all the surveys and my own surveys, that people are quite happy to listen to a 30, 40 minute podcast, no problems sure, at sure. all. So you do get people's attention for quite long periods of time. All this stuff about we've only got the attention span of a goldfish is just not true. I mean, mm. people listen to long form uh, content in podcasts and they like that medium. Um, I think there's probably a, you know, a particular optimum time probably, which is around commuting time, I suspect, but um, that's sort of, yeah, I think oh, it's without a doubt. Yeah, yeah there's, yeah. there's definitely times of the yeah. day when, yeah, times when... <laughs> of the day people listen. Although yeah. most people listen at home, I ask people where they listen, and the most used podcast was actually at home. So it's a mobile form, yeah, but yeah. actually most listening was in a non-mobile place. It was at home. Wow, so they might have been cooking or other things, but people did listen to it in the gym and walking and commuting. They were the popular times, but the biggest single uh, listening time was at home. So. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've noticed on on general podcasts, not just political podcasts, is that that podcasters seem to engage with the form as they're podcasting. It's not like television or mm. film, for example, yeah. where most you know most examples of TV and film they don't explain or work yeah. through what television yeah, or, yeah. or film is as yeah. and as the content is going along. But a lot of podcasts tend to do that, and I wanted to play you sure. a, a clip from one of the podcasts we've been talking about, Romaniacs, okay. and just get your comments on what, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what's being said here. So this is from episode 111, where there were the, the presenters were interviewing Matt Rod, who has his own political podcast. So here, here are some of their thoughts on the yeah. relationship between politics and podcasting. Your podcast has done very well. Um, our podcast done all right. Um, do you think that Brexit and this sort of politicisation of a lot of people um, or, you know, this real intensification anyway, has sort of speeded up the sort of the rise of podcasts. Like, you know, Brexit cast as well. You know, it's a mainstream BBC yes. thing, but it's got its own sort of fan base and made that happen faster than it than it, than it would have. I think there's that. And I also think Brexit has come along at a time so that technology and, and, uh, and politics have met because obviously a few years ago podcasts didn't exist. So we live in a world where people can just set up their own shows and put them out without trying to get them commissioned by the BBC or by any sort of provider. So you can just set up your own thing. Um, also what's happened is I think um, if you think about the sort of stuff you get on radio I think there are cultural things happening where we were just being constantly told that people wouldn't listen to things that were long didn't want to read things that were long that you had, people were stupid and they needed things in small chunks otherwise you had no hope yeah. of engaging mm. them and I think that's completely wrong and what podcasts have shown is people love a long listen mm. people listen will sometimes listen for an hour an hour and a half two hours they'll chop it they won't listen to that necessarily in one sitting but people love being given you think of slow burn and all these are the ones that are really successful and serial is that people love being given information so what's happened is those two things are happening where people 
go, actually, I do want detail and I do enjoy a, a, a long listen. On top of that, I think because of Brexit, people have gone... I think there was a period, basically, because of New Labour, where people went, well, things are basically fine. I don't need to really concentrate that much. Brexit has woken up millions of people, as has Trump, and they've gone... I have got no idea what is going on, and I'm embarrassed that I don't know what's going on. So podcasts like this, hopefully podcasts like mine, are a resource for people where, especially like being, I often think with the guests that I get, I often think just as a person sat opposite these incredible people, that I've just had a basically one-to-one that you couldn't buy at the best school in the world, <laughs> where Tony Blair's going to sit down for an hour, yeah. or Naomi Smith, or a, an <laughs> academic, and I, but I wasn't joking when I said it. Especially but, but, but Naomi. You're right, Picking the brains of wonderful people. People usually get like three minutes if they're really high profile yeah. on a on a you know on the hour news item yeah, on yeah. Radio Four or a Today program. You might get ninety seconds, and 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 your format allows them to have up to, you know, 90 minutes of just going through every single permutation of the issue that they're there to talk about. Yeah. Um, and that, that is such a luxury now in this, you know, it, it, despite 24-hour rolling news, everyone is still only getting, you know, a smattering of, of time to actually say what they think. So there's a, there's a few things in there. Um, first of all, there's the whole kind of moment of it being Brexit and Trump. Yeah. yeah that people actually are more politically engaged or they feel like they need to be more politically engaged and they're not getting that from the mainstream media. So podcasting is almost kind of like this educational, you know, underpinning that they they need. It's a massive educational resource. There's no question. I like that comment there about, you know, you listen to these great people. I often, you know, whether it's Talking Politics or any of the other podcasts that are out there, it's just great to sit and listen to two really respected people into the politics were talking to each other and I do feel like I'm just sat in with them down yeah, the pub yeah. listening and so the ability to have access to that I think amongst a certain group given the politics of our time there's a huge hunger and thirst for political knowledge I mean just huge um, and so I think you know when they said there's over a thousand podcasts were launched post-Trump there was an audience for those people were downloading yeah, yeah. them and um, and I'm just interesting I mean I look at what sort of the published data I mean even Brexit cast on the BBC you know, okay, it's the BBC, but in April it was downloaded six million times. Sure. I mean, that's quite a lot of, of people listening to it. Pod Save America over a million times an episode. Um, so, for amongst certain groups, there's a huge hunger for political knowledge. I think what's worrying is amongst other groups, there's no hunger at all. And I think that's when I was interested in the adoption of who listens to these podcasts. Right. And the people listening are, are overall are really highly educated, sure, relatively sure. wealthy. So there's a particular group of strata. So that sense of a public sphere um, is really kind of actually, you've it, got to be it, careful because it's very narrowly well, focused, that public well, sphere. Well, on mine, if you look at my stats, okay, mine was just one survey. It's um, only had 1,300 people. Over 50% of the respondents had a postgrad degree. Right. Over 50%. Wow. You know, that is way outside yeah, the average yeah, yeah, for the yeah, UK, yeah. which is more like 10 or so. Um, um, you know, the overall majority, I say the majority were men, the majority were, were white, etc. But But education was really noticeable. Um, but I think you're right in the sense that politics has been shaken up. A lot of people say, I don't know what's happening with politics anymore, so I need to understand. Sure. Um, but some people do that by going to a particular partisan-type podcast. Some people go to more neutral ones. Some people go to both. But people... The people who like them love them. So on average, the, the people who responded to my survey listen to five a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So once people like the podcast, they find the ones they like and sure. they listen to a number of podcasts. So they listen, they're listening for three, five hours a week. And I think the person there is absolutely right. There's stuff about people are interested in, you know, sound bites, et cetera. Mm. That's not the case. People will listen to a 30, 40 minute hour long podcast very comfortably. I think from the more worrying side is with these high control media formats, whether it's Netflix or podcasts, is those people who are, wouldn't choose to listen to political 
programs and gain critical knowledge. Now, don't listen to it at all, because there's no incidental sure. way of them listening to it. And so that has implications, I think, for society, which we have to think about why, equally, I've been trying to find out why people listen, and people definitely listen to improve their sort of cognitive social capital. The results show that very clearly. Um, but also, I'm not surveying those people who don't listen. Yeah. Why don't they listen to these yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and that could be for yeah. myriad yeah. reasons, couldn't it? So in a sense, there is a potential interpretation here that suggests that podcasting, the interest in podcasting is a perhaps a sim- symptom in the widening gap between the educated, in inverted yeah. commas, and the uneducated in the way that they engage with what's going on in the world and I think that that's again that's a different wing of the discoverability problem I think, yeah, I think discoverability is a big issue um, and I think it's it reinforces problems of social division we sort of saw the sort of broad overview of the world I suppose is that social capitalism replicates existing inequalities etc yeah. um, and I think when I did my surveys most people discover podcasts through word of mouth mm. actually Google and now started indexing them maybe that will change but it's actually really hard to find a podcast and if you yeah. go to Apple the political podcast is just listed A to Z and if it doesn't have politics in the title or the text it doesn't come up in a search anyway so sure. I did a search the other day for politics the top a hit was um, on Apple was a serial episode that had politics in the title right, of the episode, okay. uh, which had nothing to do with politics. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the search on Apple podcasts is just completely yeah. rubbish. Um, discoverability is really hard, and most people say they find through word of mouth and social media. Other people do find through stuff recommended in newspapers, sure. etc. But the top ones were social. Sure. Um, but maybe so Google's new search search function might help might, with might, that. Might, might address some of that. It might do, because yeah. to date it's been really hard to find them. Um, and so you don't stumble across them. So to date, the problem is that, therefore, certain social stratas are talking about podcasts. And if you're not in that social strata, you may never even hear about the podcast. No, no. Because it's that group of educated people chatting about, yeah, yeah, have yeah, you yeah. listened to Talking Politics? Have you listened to Romaniacs, etc.? You might not even ever listened, have heard of these podcasts. So actually, it's hard to discover if you're not inside that social group. So mm. it sort of reinforced that, I think. And that that clip also, I think, highlighted the fact that, um, or highlighted the possibility that we're where the podcasting has actually kind of brought us into a new phase, or been part of this move into a new phase where we've become dissatisfied with the kind of interactions that in terms of the conversational interactions and the brevity of them in certain different criteria. So say, just say, for example, back in the day, like BBC interview shows were all the rage, and now we have this kind of junket culture. And, and, and plus, yeah. in terms of the way that political interviews take place on the new, on like the Channel 4 News, they're very soundbitey uh, and very, I, very... Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I, interviewed, um, I interviewed Gary Gibbon for this project, who's a, a political journalist at Channel 4, and he was saying he does a podcast, but he said... The podcast is so different. The nature of the interview is so different on the podcast from a BBC from a from a TV interview. So yeah. on a TV interview, you get ten minutes, fifteen minutes with a minister or something, and he says, and you're conscious, you've got to get your soundbite. Yeah. So he says you interrupt them all the time. You interrupt them because you're trying to get to the yeah. point. Um, because you know you're that's going to be translated into a few minutes clip on a, on a TV. So so the nature of the interview is like that. He said on a podcast, I've got an hour or forty five minutes, etc. And so I can let them wander. I can come back. We can yeah. reflect on things. So he says the whole nature of the interview in a podcast is completely different to traditional political journalism. I know occasionally there are journalism programmes on the TV that are an hour interview with somebody, sure. but they're, they're few and far between, really. And so I think that's interesting that the nature of the interview is different. And what also came out, when I chatted to a number of these political podcast producers, interestingly, they'd had requests from politicians to go on their podcasts 
not to go on the mainstream news, but to go on the podcast. And so I was exploring why. Why was that? And one, in one case, for example, there was a senior Labour person, I think it's okay to say, um, wanted to come on and talk about anti-Semitism because they said, right. I can't talk about it in a five-minute clip. Sure, sure. But if you give me 40 minutes, I can talk through the issue in more depth and under-explain the nuances, etc. Yeah. And so I think even politicians are beginning to recognise that the format of the podcast allows them to discuss things in a way that the traditional TV format doesn't. And there's also a, there's a general issue with political journalism in that it's it's generally done as a sort of horse race, you know, yeah, who's yeah, winning, yeah. who's not winning, yeah. adversarial competition, etc. Um, so the nature of political journalism on our mainstream TV is, I think a lot of people are dissatisfied with it. I think there's a real hunger for political knowledge and people feel they don't get political knowledge from the news, which is literally Theresa May's, there's a video of Theresa May getting yeah, into yeah, a yeah. car, Theresa May arriving in Brussels, etc. Yeah. rather than a more in-depth 30-minute piece on, okay, what do these tariff barriers need? I mean, no, absolutely. And there's that, the, the reports of that survey, which said that only, like, um, most 18 to 35-year-olds, I think it was, only listened to two minutes yeah. of mainstream news and the the way that the mainstream news were yeah. kind of contextualizing that was is a massive problem and actually you know i think that that requires them to be a lot more self-reflexive about the problems in their own kind of structures and to be say. fair some of them are addressing i think bbc people are trying to do a lot more with podcasts to reach a younger audience it's interesting there was a big survey in the u.s at the start of this show which said the average age of a podcast listener was 26 mm. but that was for across all podcasts in my survey um, again one survey just 13 or two the average age of a political podcast this was 41 so it's much older having said that and I was thinking 41 that's quite old I don't know if you know what you must know the average age of a BBC one viewer is 61 yeah 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 this across all the across all, all programs and it's 62 for BBC two wow. and even for things like radio 4 it's 56 57 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so actually 41 may seem old relative to podcast listeners mm. but that may be a way for these programs to reach a younger audience of, sure. of 41 etc and I think there is that more generally should how people listen to news if people don't actively want to listen to news and there's no longer that incidental listening because you're on Netflix and you just choose, or you're on podcasts and you're choosing sure. a very highly controlled way. Yeah. Are we not, though, also, I mean, and I'm guilty of this because in producing my own podcasts, mm. I've had a complete about face in terms of my attitude to institutions like the BBC, mm. for example. You know, I was a big BBC advocate. Mm. And, and then when I started producing my own, I was I realised how much the BBC sucks up all yeah, the yeah, oxygen yeah. of media communication in the UK. And you could say the same things about NPR or, you know, commercial... Yeah, 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 no, I've, I've, I've talked to other podcast producers, independent podcast producers, yeah. really upset the BBC pushing all their BBC Sounds podcasts because they we had this space and now it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. they've got the money to advertise their podcasts. And I say building an audience is really hard. Mm. And when you're at the BBC now pumping out, yeah. what's the equivalent of tens of so, millions so is of then the is then the next kind of logical step to say, well, actually... The, the the ideological lines of, of the way that the BBC thinks as an institution is just basically being replicated in this slightly different form. Um, I think things, what's interesting is I haven't seen the detail on it, but there are different rules for BBC podcasts from BBC radio oh, programmes, okay. for example. Um, and so I think there is a bit more informality on the BBC podcast, and that comes across. Um, and I think they're learning from that. And they can say things on a podcast that you can't necessarily say on a radio programme. Sure. Um, and so... I, so I think they are aware of some of those issues, but mm. I think producers are. They say there's only so much time and space for yeah, listen yeah, to yeah. podcasts, and the BBC are pushing into heavily. But I think it's this is true of podcasts generally. Say it's NPR and others. Is 
you know, Spotify and people pushing into it, so suddenly people realise that podcasts are quite a big thing. Yeah. And yeah. so the commercial players are moving in and dominating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so and the, the other main way that people find podcasts is from a podcast. Yeah. They listen to somebody recommends a podcast. And so that creates issues because, I mean, you then get these family groupings of podcasts, you know, across you know, NPR or others who continually referencing and referring people onto other podcasts. Um but obviously their podcasts are within their stable of podcasts. Um, so I think discovery is um, remains a, a big sort of issue, sure. really. And and it's going to get harder for people. The more the BBC and people really push out their podcasts, it's harder for others, I sure. think. So with your uh, master's degree, they're newly completed, and you, you're talking about going into perhaps doing a, a PhD. Do you... Do you feel like that you might have to do a practice or want to do a practice element of that, like I oh, yeah, podcast no, yourself? I want to. I mean, I've, I've appeared on lots of podcasts. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in my businesses, when I was an entrepreneur and so businesses, we found podcasts to be very powerful. So, right, okay. um, again, because they build relationships. I mean, I sure. think ultimately people buy from people they trust. I think my survey shows that people trust podcast hosts. They get to know them. They feel like they know them. There is that level of intimacy that isn't, somewhere else you get to know who their dog is or what they're sure. doing or the kids are those sorts of things um so i think there is some um, yes I, I think i'd like to do more personally as i've talked to people about running our own podcast but but as a business we used to run podcasts and they were incredibly powerful again oh because we didn't do them as marketing or advertising well this is what we're going to ask um, because there's a big problem with like podcasts that just arrive to sell you something yeah. are, are a complete turn off so to me cor- anyway corporate podcast I mean every corporate has podcasts yeah, BP yeah. has podcasts everybody has podcasts because they feel they should um, but the, the problem with that in a way is that um you know, nobody wants to listen to it. It's, it's got to be interesting and valuable um, to the to the listener. It can't just be advertising. So we would just talk about issues around one of us in the learning company, talk about issues around e-learning and how you script or how you do other things. So the, the content had to be useful and not promotional. So it had to be useful and yeah. not promotional. But people still then got to know you in a way. And mm. it's interesting, people did feel that they knew you. I remember going to a pitch. Um, you're in there's like seven or eight people the other side, and we go in and we're one of a number of companies going into pitching. And them saying, oh, yeah, we listened to the podcast. It was good what you said about X. It's like you already had a relationship. And it's like, it's, I'm interested in this sort of concept of sort of asymmetrical or weak ties. They are asymmetrical and weak, but they're also quite strong. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Like, because there, there's an intimacy to that. And even though, and the people could go on and they can... Uh, talk to them on social media etc even if they don't reply mm. you can take part in it so I think there is something about that that sort of intimate nature of podcasts which is very powerful and which I think companies can use and I say and I think just the 800 people who responded within 24 hours to my yeah, 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 yeah. from one read after the end um, is a testimony to how powerful that is yeah it's so fascinating with podcasts because they are totally ingrained into the internet era obviously they've kind of the technology yeah. and distribution goes through social yeah. media more than anything else but I'm reading this book called Digital Minimalism right. right now by a guy called Cal Newport and it's basically about sort of philosophies and methods for decoupling yourself from social media yeah. and from being yeah. online all the time but it, it's it's fascinating, I think, how I think at certain on a certain level, podcasting does offer that that yeah. that space yeah. away from the internet, even though it's within the internet. And it's that that what you're talking about there it relates to that idea of it being weak and strong at the same yeah. time. It's almost an in between experience. Yeah, yeah. It's really yeah, really yeah, interesting. Yeah, and that's my concept was really from one of the chapters in in, in your book, Neural Cultures. Was I re- I was really I suppose my hypothesis was almost like podcasts act as this intimate bridge to cognitive social capital yes and it's an intimate bridge 
but they're asymmetrical relationships. So you go back to all that stuff about social capital and um, you know bridging ties, and yeah. bonding social capital, bridging capital, etc. Um, and also linking social capital, which is sort of vertical across the hierarchies. And podcasts provide that sort of linking social capital. So even though I probably rarely meet David Runciman, who's a professor at Cambridge, yeah. I listen to him every week. I feel I get to know him quite well, etc. Yeah. I have now actually spoken to him, but but there is that thing that you know, it's, you know, I could be a could be any social grouping. I can listen to these professors talk about stuff, or these political journalists who have inside track knowledge, or politicians. Um, so I, I like Ian Dale's podcast, for example, for the many, and um, uh, their chats about what's going on in politics, uh, and they've got lots of inside knowledge I'd never have. So I feel I can almost participate in this social group, even though I may be way down here and not connected with that group. So it's a really weak tie, but it's also quite strong in the sense that yeah. I'm gaining a lot of knowledge from it. And I suppose, I say, my naivety, I thought, well, that's good because it will democratise. Everybody can now listen to that. But of course, that's not the case because certain people recognise the value sure. <laughs> and they invest time in listening to podcasts. Other people just not interested in it. And so actually that increases the gap in political knowledge. Yeah. It doesn't decrease it. It actually increases it. Yeah. And on that line, there's one final question. And I know that you said you kind of like you're not an advocate for any kind of political position through your yeah. research. But I just wonder all of these political podcasts that you listen to, what what kind of frame of mind has that put you into with regards to what's going on right now and where we could be in the next sort of three to six months, which could be, you know, I mean, it's been unprecedented, hasn't yeah. it, for a couple of years, but it could be even constitutionally quite yeah, you know, quite a crisis I mean and I suppose like everyone else I'm hungry to know these things as well because nobody really knows I think if people tell you they know they they don't know it so, mm. and I did like I think I mentioned at the start that David Runciman's podcast was around nobody knows anything yeah. you know, all the pollsters the politicians etc there are lots of people with opinions but I think increasingly I'd like to look a bit wider because a lot of the acknowledged experts are in certain grouping and bubbles sure. and I think some people and I think the media, and this is a problem with political journalism. Political journalism now, you've got, you've got to be quite middle class, fund yourself, go to the right journalism school, etc. Um, and I suppose about just a little personal story. On the day before the Brexit vote, I met two people. On the afternoon, I met uh, a guy who was one of my co-founders. He was in his late 20s, co-founders of a startup. And I said, what do you think is going to happen then, Brexit vote tomorrow? And he said, well, we've got to vote Remain because I don't know a single person who's voting leave. And sure. He lived in London, 28 or so. Um, and then I went out to see my brother who lives in Swindon. And I said, what do you think is happening? So he lives in a working class community in Swindon. He said, well, we're going to be voting to leave. He said, I don't know a single person voting to remain. And there definitely are different groupings. And I think a lot of our um, political coverage is Westminster and London centric. And I think now that's changed. I think people are now consciously getting out there and doing yeah. the red card programs, other programs, think what's happening in these communities and what do people think? Um, and so I, I try to listen to podcasts that give me a broader range now of things, really. It's, it's good to listen to the political journalists. And I think because they give me an insight into the, what politicians are thinking. So I, I listen every day to the Spectator podcast and the New Statesman podcast, etc. And I quite like the Daily Update from Spectator because I feel the Spectator people have a good sense of what Tory MPs are thinking. Right. I get the New Statesman has quite a good sense of what a lot of the Labour MPs are thinking. And, you know, and so I listen to Ian Dale and other people. They all have their insights into to yeah. different things. But they're in touch about what politicians are thinking. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. It's okay, the game of politics. But, but, but yeah. what about what about um, what people outside thinking and stuff? So I listened to a lot of the, the opinion polls and pollsters stuff, and I like the John Curtis stuff and things like that, mm. and uh, Polling Matters podcast and things, because um, that gives you a bit more data. So in, increasingly, I like to listen to opinion, 
but I'm less and less interested in people's opinions and more interested in what does the data or the academic research show me okay. in these things? Because I think we all need something that's slightly more, more evidence-based. But for me, I just suppose everybody else, nobody knows what's going to happen. But something you do get that sense that something is changing in our politics yeah, yeah. Um, and that politicians are out of touch with that. Politicians and political journalists are out of touch with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they're trying to find ways of trying to get more in touch with what's happening on mm. the ground, really. And that's those. Um, so, yeah, no. So that's why I think a lot of us listen to political podcasts is that we're interested um, in what's going to happen. And we're trying to find nuggets and insights, which I don't think necessarily exist. Mm. But I think the more you, you broaden your spread and listen to a range of voices. And the good thing about podcasts is you can listen to voices that don't get included on mainstream TV. There was a, actually a book that Dominic Cummings recommended. If you read his blog, it's his blog. I've read his blog. It's, it's really his blog, yeah. <laughs> but he, one of the guys, I forget which one of the books, one of the books he reviewed, the guy was saying it was about forecasting and said the people who are most often wrong, there was a, a distinct correlation between the number of, the number of times they were on TV and how wrong, how wrong they, they were. Yeah, so he said, because they're the traditional experts and they're not yeah. the people you should be listening to. And I think there's probably is something in that, that the yeah. political commentators have always commentated, have a perspective and a view and context. And that that's not necessarily right any longer. So mm. you have to listen to a broad range. So I quite like, I mean, I, and I try hard to search for independent political podcasts and things like that, but discovery is a problem. Yeah. I mean, finding them is a problem and Apple search really doesn't help. So maybe the Google search will help a bit. But again, Google search is still dominated by... Hey, people who pay for ads. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. everything above the fold on Google now is an ad. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, Google's just become yeah, yeah. a massive advertising machine, yeah, which is yeah. it's a shame, really. Yeah. I mean, it's still powerful, but you have to. And it depends down. on your search terms yeah. as well, doesn't it? So. But um, maybe if it starts indexing, but yeah. I suspect the ones that will come up high will be the NPR ones, the BBC ones, because they'll have lots of links to them from high-value sites like the BBC, etc. Um, so cutting through that, it's, it's quite hard. I mean, Google's one level is fantastic. And I could set up a blog and you could set up a blog, but the odds on someone finding my piece of content yeah, yeah. is quite it's remote. remote. Yeah. It's quite remote, really. Um, so, yeah, so it's going to be interesting, I think, to see what happens. Steve, good luck with the rest of your yeah, research. No, thank you. Thanks very much for talking to me. Yeah, no, thanks. No problems.